You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I don't know if you guys are on the chat this morning on uh, the YouTube app or things like that, but we've been, uh, I, I asked the question, if you had a YouTube channel, what would you be famous for? And if I'm honest, I don't think I could pick a thing, which is probably the problem. I've tried blogging, I've tried those things, I feel like it's too eclectic. Um, <clears throat> maybe a little bit like this passage where it feels like it's all over the place. Um, so, good morning, I'm Alan. Um, here we're almost at the end of spring semester. Um, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, here's the thing. This spring semester, I'm sure there's been some things that have been great. There's some things that have stunk. I've really missed having spring break. Um, not even for myself necessarily, but for like just the fun things we do. In, in campus ministry, spring break means mission trip almost all the time. It's a chance to learn about what God's people are doing in other places and to see um, how we can offer some unskilled labor uh, somewhere where they need it. The only time we go on a mission trip to Memphis, uh, to a ministry called Service Over Self that Alina Life has partnered with over the years, I remember uh, driving down and we had a, a new student to Alina Life in our car, somebody who I think I just met on the mission trip, and they were asking questions. What's iLife's stance on this? What does iLife think of that? And going on and on and on. And finally, they asked the question that everybody was wondering, what is iLife's stance on aliens? Okay, so... I, I wasn't able to give an fi- official statement on that one. Um, but what she did was she was asking questions because she understood that our faith has deep implications for living. Our faith stretches out into all of our areas of life, and it shows if it doesn't. It can't just be faith without practice, without an outpouring of it. This, is, this shows up throughout the biblical narrative. I could give tons of stories. If you've never heard these stories, it's fine. But Abraham, uh, by faith, did so much. Uh, There's a woman who Jesus healed because she said by faith, if I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She touched the cloak. James's letter to the church is built on without action. Faith is meaningless. So it makes sense that if that theme is throughout scripture, we're going to see it here today in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And as you've heard, we're in week three of a four-part series uh, about this letter, this epistle. Um, It's one of the earliest um, in the New Testament. And it came out of a place of necessity. You see, Paul, um, the founding pastor of this church, he couldn't go there. So Timothy, the intern, got sent to go back and forth and deliver news and questions. So Paul writes back to them, offering encouragements, affirming their faith, and answering their questions in the the letter. And today, we're going to get to some of those questions. See, this book has, has two key movements marked by three prayers. There's a prayer at the beginning, a prayer in the middle, and a prayer at the end. Um, Our previous two messages um, were within that encouragement section, the beginning section. And from here on out, we're going into instructions for the church. Paul was deeply concerned about how this church lived, how these people were living. And so as Timothy brought a progress report back, he started to write, almost immediately, I'm sure. And when he's writing is to address specific things going on in the church and specific questions they would have had. Now, if you remember, if you need need this reminder, these believers came uh, to follow Jesus in a pluralistic society, in what was Greece and then Rome and they call Macedonia. Um, The ethic that Jesus taught and Jesus established takes time to learn. It takes time to change how we live. And Paul's here to help them through that, to remind them that. You see, God cares about how we live. Paul shows this much in this letter. It shows up throughout scripture. Um, And while the issues that Thessalonica may have been dealing with, they may or may not resonate with you, 
the basic principles can remain true for all of us, I think. And so there are four issues we're going to look at today, and they seem kind of like a grab bag, like if I were to be a YouTuber. Um, so what ties these things together? What I love about scripture is if you sort of get to like a break point, <clears throat> much like any writing, there's sort of a thesis. And so the beginning of this section after the prayer has a thesis for us. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through chapter 5, verse 11. Um, but don't worry, we'll start in chapter 4, verse 1. The words are going to be on the screen um, or in your Bible at home. Um, I'd love for you guys to follow along with me as we get started. And so this is Paul's thesis, why he's continuing on. Chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord, Jesus, to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. If you recall from previous messages, Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica for probably about three weeks. And so in three weeks, this church was instructed on how to live holy lives. And Paul says, in a lot of ways, you have it. You were instructed on in how to do it already. Um, I love this. It, holy living is, is simple. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong. There's not, it's not easy much of the time, but there's a simplicity to it. Yes, absolutely. There's complex theology, ethical questions, and implications I love talking about. I think it's really fun, but a lot of times how we live our lives is based on real simple principles. Just requiring doing it again and again, more and more, as Paul wrote. And so here's what I want to tell you guys. This is the big idea for today. Live holy lives in light of the Lord. Live lives that are separate from the life that you may have lived before, separate from the world because of Jesus. <clears throat> Live holy lives in light of the Lord. We're going to go through each of these four-ish issues, four sections, and in each section we're going to look at the passage, <clears throat> then the issues of that day, and how we can apply that for holy living today. That's my hope. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the main section uh, of our passage for today. Um, Jesus, sort of funny, I feel like practicing and talking to a camera are the same, God. And so I feel um, like I, it's not me, it's you. Um, I pray, Lord, that your word would speak truth, that what needs to be heard today would be heard, um, and what doesn't need to be heard would be forgotten. God, I pray that um, all of our hearts, um, my own definitely included, would be submitted to your will with your word. Amen. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to read section one, our first section. is verses three through eight of chapter four. <clears throat> it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, <clears throat> but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> all right, I get to talk about sexual immorality. Um, why does the Bible always talk about it? Um, I feel like any time that a church or Christian leader starts to talk about this topic, we have lots of like predisposed reactions to it. 
because of either what they've been taught in church or what they've heard. Um, I think we all have reactions. And so my hope would be, can we just look at the text today together? Let's start with this and see what it says to us. Okay, so it starts off, Paul says, hey, I want you to keep living Christianly. And then it says, the first thing, it's my desire that it's God's desire, God's will that you would be sanctified. It's a fancy Christian word. Uh, It means to be made more holy, more right with God, more connected to God, more like God. This is the first instruction after the prayer, to be sanctified. That means how we live um, is, Paul's acknowledging, it's changing over time as we become more like Christ. And the call to be sanctified here starts with sexual immorality. Okay, I want to remind you guys of the culture they're in, though it's not unlike our own. Um, Cicero, a politician and um, writer of the day, he said essentially, let no pleasure be denied to you as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Cicero was a Roman. Paul is saying, hey, let's live distinctively from the culture. Not because we should live distinctively, but because this is God's consistent ethic. And my guess is Paul's writing about it because somebody in Thessalonica, I don't know how many, I don't know who, is struggling to give up their old life for the life of Christ, to live like in light of the Lord. Paul isn't saying, um, you guys are done, you're dumb for this. He's saying, I reminded you, let's go back to it, let's start over. Um, to control our bodies, to not live in lust, to not be animalistic about our desire. There's also a strong expectation to not wrong or take advantage of somebody physically or sexually. What does it all mean? Um, guys, God cares. God cares about this. And I, we can't get into, I feel like there's so much we could talk about and so many implications we could talk about. But let me give you simply. The word used here for sexual immorality, it's a Greek word, it means it's porneia. It means sex outside of marriage, sex outside of that covenant. Uh, this has not changed over the centuries. This is not a puritanical value. This is something God established, um, and we have to figure out how to live out. Also, this instruction, I love it. Um, it's not condemning. It's actually really empowering. See, it's not an instruction from Paul. It's not an instruction from Alan. He's saying God is saying this. God's word has consistently communicated this. God has communicated it to us. It's consistent. And not only that, is it not just consistent, it's also something God has given us the power to do with his Holy Spirit. I think that, that uh, reminder that God has given us his Holy Spirit is such an encouragement um, when I have to combat sin in my life. So, in short, they need a reminding of the sexual ethic that God had established and encouragement to keep going in that. How about for today? Well, I think simply put, my mind goes to our sexual ethic should be formed by God. Um, we, are, we are constantly being formed by things, by different voices around us. And I would encourage you to look to scripture. If you call yourself a Christian, my hope would be that you would see God's word as authoritative. And so are you combating scripture? Are you trying to find ways around it? Or are you willing to try to figure out how to submit to it? God knows, he cares. Your future spouse care, the stories you tell your children care. Um, I wish I could, I'm sure there's so much more that can be said about this. Ask your questions after this. Um, seek out a leader and ask more questions about this topic. But in general, the call here with sexuality is to live holy lives in light of the Lord. All right, let's move on in our grab bag of topics. Um, we're going to go on to a next sec- the next section, verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4. Now about your love for one another. 
We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, why this? It seems like Paul's addressing a question, maybe something along the lines of, hey, how do we love people well again, Paul? We kind of forgot that one. Um, not sure why they're asking it, but he's saying, it seems like they asked, hey, what about this love for one another? He says, we don't need to write you. God's already instructed you. And he goes on and gives some, some stuff up beyond that. Um, Paul affirms that they've been doing it. They've been loving one another well from what he can tell, which is encouraging. And not only that, they love God's family throughout Macedonia, which is that region they're in. How does he know? Well, they probably posted on their social media that they really love those people, right? Um, no, they, they, they acted on it. Most likely, this church in Thessalonica was pretty well off financially, and they gave financial support. They helped people in need. Um, they put their money where their love is. They didn't just speak it, but they did it. Love is an action, not just a feeling. Here again, um, that phrase of uh, uh, more and more shows up. He's saying, you're doing it, but continue on in it. I love this about um, living like God is it requires, I think, just more and more of us. Um, I have the opportunity to grow and grow and continue on in this life. But then Paul goes on um, after talking about loving. He says, here's another way to, to live on top of that. Live quiet lives, mind your own business, work with your hands, not being dependent on others. Okay, that's great. Sounds fine. Why? Why? I love the question, why? Well, he says it's to win the respect of those, the outsiders, those who don't know Jesus. To be a good witness for Christ means living a respectable life. Our lives should be filled with behaviors, as long as they're not disobeying God or disavowing of God, that gain the respect of others. That's a beautiful way to represent Christ. So what about for these specific people? Why would he write about this? Um, well, there's two things that are probably happening here. One is there's a good chance because it's an early church, there are believers who are like, Jesus is coming back any minute. I don't need to do anything. I'm fine. They, we got money. They'll take care of us. Let's retire early. Um, <laughs> and Paul's saying, hey, actually, the most respectable thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is to continue working. Continue working with your hands. Continue to provide for yourself so you're not dependent on other people and caught up in some of the social relationships that come with when you're dependent upon other people. Those social relationships um, were a system um, that, that they called patronage, where you'd have a patron, not Patreon, just a patron, um, who gives money uh, to people and to help them out, to support them, and then those people are kind of beholden to the patron. Right, this is one of the reasons I love actually in ministry, if you can be supported by not your, your church context, you're not supported by the money, you're not owned by the money of people around you. Um, and he's saying, if you're not in that system, if you're able to take care of yourself, if you're not in other people's business, you can follow God's business instead of being caught up in the transactional nature that comes with that kind of support. And so he's saying, hey, if you can, the most respectable thing for you to do in this context is to live this way. What about for us? First off, let's not just say we love people. Let's stick our neck out for people. 
with our time, our talent, our resources, our money. I want to share my life with you guys. Much like Paul said, he not only wanted to share the good news, he wanted to share his life with you. Ask for help. And then respond to that help when you hear other people asking. And then secondly, to live a respectable life, I think today for a Christian means don't live for the culture, but also don't fight the culture. Live a respectable life. For Christians in America today, I think that means thinking more about Christian responsibility than Christian rights. My sense is this is an area that is ripe for growth in our country, in our context where we are today. Christians have plenty of ground to grow and claim with respect to actually loving people genuinely. And for those of us that do you know, study or work, which I think is most of us, maybe made my kids, hi Ava, hi Aaron, um, it means doing those things faithfully, honestly, as if we were working for God himself. There's no work that is below God's people. In fact, Paul is saying, work with your hands. Like, it's okay. Somebody needs to clean the toilets. And how cool that God's people would be the people who take care of that stuff. Because if the toilets don't get cleaned, people are getting sick. That is God's work. I think a lot of our societal expectations are to find a career that changes the world. But if you're faithful to whatever you do, you are going to be changing the world. So live holy lives in light of the Lord. And with respect to loving people and what you do with your days. Let's go on. Grab bag number three. Um, we're going to look at, uh, at verses 13 through 18 in chapter four. Um, and boy, does it feel like a topic change. Um, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not pre precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay. Um, what's going on here? There's a lot of big language caught up in clouds, archangels, and trumpets. Um, why, what's Paul talking about? Why is he getting this? Simply put, most likely someone in the congregation there at Thessalonica had died. We don't know if it's because of the persecution or because of age or for whatever the reason, but if you remember, this is a new church with new believers. It's early on after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. They expected Christ to return quickly. So this is a legitimate question. What happens if people die before Christ comes back? We're not dealing with this question on a regular basis. We've kind of sorted this one out, but for them, this was a big deal. And let me, let me help you guys out here. We could spend a lot of time on the imagery here, but I don't think Paul's primary purpose is to give a detailed accounting of a rapture or what's going to happen when Christ returns. Um, rather, he's addressing the concern of the death of believers. So first off, he says, guys, we have hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. He says grieve like people with hope. 
Jesus will return. And not only that, the dead in Christ will be with him. Don't worry, guys. Your friend who passed will be with us. In fact, the imagery Paul is using, this is why we can't draw a clear, necessarily, theology from it, is because um, the future is mysterious. But he's also drawing an image from a, a thing called a peros, peroisa. I probably got that wrong. But um, it's the, the returning of a king, a triumphant king back to town. And so he's saying Jesus is returning. And what would happen when an emperor or a conquering king or a general came back to town is people would see him from a distance. And those who were closest to him, those who were most honored, they went out furthest. They met him furthest out of town. And then other people would join them and there'd be a procession back in. And so what Paul is saying, those who have died in Christ, those who have maybe been martyred for Christ, those who have died um, because of Christ, they will be honored. They will be right there. In fact, they're going to go before us. Paul even suggests Christ might return before he dies. He says those of us who are still alive, um, obviously uh, his tone changes as he gets older in later letters. But um, the point of this is take heart. God is returning. And as long as you whether you live or die in him, um, you'll be with him. So what are the implications for today? Again, we're pretty settled on this this death thing um, and knowing that the dead will rise. I think we're supposed to grieve like Christians. Grieve like people who have hope. Um, I've experienced my fair share of hard things in my life. Um, I imagine you have too. And if you think you haven't, um, welcome to the last year of your life. Um, COVID is something we've all experienced, right? Whether it be, um, we've experienced losses, whether it be loved ones, whether it be the loss of days, the loss of opportunities, the loss of the college experience. Um, I think the call is to grieve like those who have hope. Not to just have hope and say, it's all fine, like everything's going to be good. Everything's been fine. That's not God's people. But God's people also don't need to despair. We can grieve with hope. In fact, let me, let me put it this way. I think, simply put, your confession should inform your emotion. What you believe should help your emotions out. It doesn't mean you won't feel things, but it should help inform how you feel those things. Another way to put it, your theology should inform your ideology. How you look at the world should be informed by who God is. So if you need encouragement, let me encourage you. The resurrection will happen. God will call people who know him to him. Um, and if you need to encourage somebody, encourage people with these words that, like Paul said, I think this is the way we can live a holy life is by taking our emotions under control um, for God. All right, let's go to one more section here. We're going to go into chapter 5. We're going to go verses 1 through 7. I know this is a lot and a lot of transitions. Let's go. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Okay, 
another question these guys have. Um, Paul, when is, when's Jesus coming back? How soon again? Paul says, I don't need to write to you about this. There's a bit of a mystery to it. Um, the Bible's pretty agnostic as to when Christ will return, only that he will, and it's going to be a moment of revealing. Now, if he is returning at a specific time, we should be getting ready. So this is my instruction for how to build a bunker in case the rapture happens and you don't get raptured. Yeah, thanks for laughing. I was worried you guys thought it was serious. Um, Paul's not encouraging us to be ready in a physical sense. He's encouraging us to be spiritually ready. We don't know when it will happen. Paul reminds us of this consistent teaching that Jesus' return will be sudden and unstoppable. And I love these images. The th- a thief in the night, we don't know when it's going to happen, but if a thief comes, they come. And let me tell you, labor pains, once they start, they are hard and unstoppable. <laughs> when, then he go, let me go back a bit. He says, when people are saying peace and safety, I love this. Paul's talking about Roman culture. He's saying peace and safety were kind of a motto in Rome in those days. Um, they were a language that said, we're going to be okay here in Rome. I don't know if you can think of any similar language for your life or the subculture or the way you live, but I imagine you have something that's trying to ground you. And he's saying no matter how secure Rome can make its borders or how well it can provide for its people, God could still return at any time. Take note of that. Now another thing. Paul, he's using sleep here again. He used sleep in our previous passage to talk about those who have died. Um, he's using sleep here differently. Um, awake and asleep. Sort of awake spiritually or asleep spiritually. Those who live... Uh, in the daylight are awake. Those who live at night tend to sleep. And night, we think night is pretty okay now. I mean, it's kind of scary, but like we have streetlights, no streetlights. Um, it's a different world back then. And so night is a lot more troubling. It's a lot easier to do dark things in the night. And so what he's talking about is that we should be awake and ready by knowing Christ, by starting to live like him um, as best we, we know how to for who we are in the moment we are. We should live like Christ should return. Don't wait for it. And and that implication for them, I think, is true for today. Christ will return. I feel sometimes like weird saying that, like, but like I believe it. I believe that Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, to call people who know him to be with him, to establish his kingdom here on earth. So live like he is. Uh, I, I, it's kind of youth groupy, but I'm going to use this one. Do you want Jesus to like come back while you're like super in a state of sin? Um, like would that be a, like, hey Jesus, what's up? Um, sorry, um, God's grace is big enough. But I think the, the hope here is to live in light of who God is, to live in a hope for the Lord's return. And maybe maybe just a piece of language that I found helpful for for me as I've been thinking about this is don't just love God, but have a holy reverence, a holy fear for who God is, for His power, for His authority, for how He established how to live. Okay, that's simple. Four completely, seemingly crazy things. Um, lots of implications for you guys. Um, it's time for me to turn the corner to the end of our time here. Um, maybe, maybe you have more questions. What I love about, about this letter is they, the church in Thessalonica asked their questions and Paul responded. The leaders of your church, your pastor, your elders, your staff, your small group leaders, they want to help you with your questions. So ask them. The second thing, I think I'm this way, is like, I want a fresh teaching. I want something new. Like, 
I'm like watching the next Apple product release because I want something new to like give me that dopamine hit. The Christian life isn't new. Jesus makes all things new, but the, the principles, the things, um, there's not going to be a crazy new teaching that's going to arrive today. Um, and so while maybe we want something new, the same stuff is real basic. Wash, rinse, repeat more and more into the Christian life. See, the newness comes from the hope, the new life in Christ, not a new teaching, not a new clever way to look at the world. So what's your more and more moment? What do you need to grow in more and more? Do you need your sexual ethic reframed by God? Maybe you need to write that one down in your notebook. Maybe you need to take a practical step to live a respectable life. Maybe you need to show up smiling at work on Zoom tomorrow. Um... Do you need help submitting your emotions to your theology, to who God is? Or do you need some urgency to start to live Christianly? Paul is encouraging them. There's no condemnation in these words. There's only encouragement to do these things, to live this way. And so I want to end how Paul ends. We're going to go verses 8 through 11 of chapter 5. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. My friends, if you belong to the day, to the light, are awake, if you know Jesus, Keep on going. Grow more and more. Specifically, put on faith and love. Put on hope. Dress yourself with these things. Love is sacrificial. Faith is practical. When we say, I have faith in you to someone, you're not, I don't think you're messing with them. I think you really say, I have faith in you. I'm putting something in you. The same can be said for faith in God. And hope. Hope in a return of Christ that will set all things to right. And just like we've been reminded throughout this letter, share this encouragement with one another. Again and again, encourage one another with these truths. So when the day is behind has been challenging, when the day over ahead feels overwhelming, be encouraged. And when you see the same challenges, the same strife, the same discouragement in others, encourage them. We all need encouragement in this season. So let me encourage you. In these areas, no matter how far you feel like you've slipped since the last reminder, since last Sunday, since last year, or if you never really got it in this area, if you know Jesus, continue to walk in the light. Take a step into it today. Get back on the horse. Confess your sin. Ask the question of someone if you don't understand. There aren't stupid questions in Christianity. There's only the opportunity to learn more by asking our questions. And begin again or begin for the first time to live your life in light of the Lord.